you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up, how are we doing, how are we doing, and welcome to episode 80, yes, number 80 of the Banner Branch Podcast, I'm your host, favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G, how's everyone doing, you can find me on the Twitter machine, at Banner Banter 18, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Banner Banter Podcast, and thanks for listening on all your fine podcast applications like Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Podbean, Stitcher, etc, etc. So, Celtics win last night, they get... The first game of the first round of the playoffs versus the Philadelphia 76ers. They win 109 to 101. And we just have to get right into the bad news. So it's great that the Celtics won. They're up 1 0. They did exactly what they were supposed to do win that first game with their quote unquote home court advantage. But Gordon Hayward got hurt. Gordon Hayward had a really bad, really, really bad rolled ankle late in the game after he, well, it was like the fourth quarter, right? Was it the third? I, to be honest with you, I forget when it happened because it just it made me so sad, to be honest. But the good thing is it wasn't the ankle that he absolutely destroyed in Cleveland a few years ago. It's the other ankle. So that's good news. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, he got an MRI last night, but no news about it yet. I have my phone right here next to me, patiently waiting. Basically what's going to happen is I'm going to release this podcast at like 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, and the news will probably come out at 9.03, maybe 9.04, and it's going to drive me absolutely crazy. What also drove me absolutely crazy was Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe. He sent a photo out confirming that Gordon Hayward was in a walking boot and was on crutches. The good news about that is, you know, you could say that they were trying to minimize the swelling, and that's just, you know, protocol. So hopefully Gordon Hayward is okay. Hopefully, you know, it's just a good rolled ankle, and hopefully, you know, in a perfect world, he only misses game two, and that way he'll get Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off, and maybe he can play limited amount of minutes on Friday night or on Sunday too, but I don't think Gordon Hayward is really needed for the Celtics to win this series, but Gordon Hayward is going to be needed to win the next series and the series after that. You could say, well, he's going to be leaving for a few days anyway, so the team might as well get used to him not being there now. Okay, that's fair. I get that. But for right now, I would like Gordon Hayward out here as much as possible because he has gone through so much over the ever since he signed like the Boston Celtics contract. Like he's been cursed with injuries. I feel bad for him. This is easily and honestly the best he's ever played. Uh, since he's been in a Celtics uniform. Sure, he was a little off last night. He missed some wide-open shots, which will happen. He was bound to have one bad bubble game because he's been solid in the bubble. You could argue easily the third-best player on the team since the bubble has come back. You know, we could rank them. You could say Tatum, Brown, Time Lord, Hayward, Kemba's knee. You know, all the cool little storylines. But the question is now, 
who fills in? Who fills in? Who is going to step up? Right away, obviously, the starting line is going to be Smart, Kemba, Brown, Tatum, and Tice. That's obvious. But how many more minutes is Smart going to get? How many more minutes is Jalen Brown going to get? How many more minutes is Jason Tatum going to get because of it? Because last night, Gordon played 34 minutes. Okay, Tatum played 41, Tice 25, Jalen 38, Kemba 34, and Marcus Smart 31. So you have 34 minutes to fill up between a lot of guys. Does that mean more time for Brad Wanamaker? It might. You know, that way Marcus Smart can get a little bit of a breather. But I'm I'm fully expecting for Marcus Smart to play 40 minutes tomorrow night in Game 2 at 630. Uh which, you know, some people may say, hey, that's too much for Marcus because 31 minutes for him is really like 112 with the way he plays because Marcus did not play well last night. 0 of 5 from the field. Sure, he was great defensively. He was even overall in the plus minus. He made some big steals. I thought he did a great job with Al Horford sometimes, and I'll get and I'll get back to that in a little bit. But overall, it wasn't a great game. So do we see more Grant Williams? That could be interesting. Do we see that way if you put Grant Williams on Al Horford, Al Horford may dominate him, but there were a lot of times last night where Gordon Hayward was switched on Al Horford and Al Horford bodied him and did the classic Al Horford, pound the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball, you know, baby right hook, and it goes in. So do you also see maybe more of Romeo Langford, which eh, defensively, you know, you're all for it because... Like I've said a gazillion times, and like everyone knows, Romeo Langford is a very good defender. That's why Brad Stevens literally put him into the game with six or seven seconds left. But the thing is, is Gordon Hayward is such an offensive threat. Now, the way that Joel Embiid was playing last night, basically sitting in the key for as long as he ever wanted and Tice is open at the key, now you don't have, if Romeo Langford's out there, if you're Brett Brown, you're like, go ahead, kid. If you can beat us, God bless you. Because you're going you're gonna to live with Tice shooting threes, you're going to live with Romeo Langford shooting threes, and then they can change their whole defensive package and really focus on Brown and Tatum and Kemba. Or maybe Marcus Smart too. But again, you live or die with Marcus Smart making threes because he, he, it's so hit or miss with him. So that I, per, you know, that I get. So this could, like I said, the Gordon, sorry, I just hit my microphone. Uh, this could be a major blow for the Celtics. And the crazy thing is, is that it could really extend this series. I thought the series was going six, but no Gordon Hayward could make this definitely a six-game series or possibly a seven-game series. And the issue with that is, is the Raptors, who you're most likely going to play in the second round if you do beat the Philadelphia 76ers, if or when, that they're going to be on a lot of days rest. They're going to be fresh and ready to go, and you need to be at 100% to beat this Toronto Raptors team. Sure, they looked great yesterday. They were up 30 points, but then they gave up a huge lead. But then they blew it out again. Fred Van Van Fleet looked unbelievable, but that's that. So let's just break down the game a little bit. You know, the podcast won't be too long today. We'll have our stud and dud. We'll have canter banter. Um, But some of the things that really surprised me with the Celtics, uh, they only lost the rebound battle by seven, which is great. But what was awesome is they won the fast break points 18 to 8. And if the Celtics didn't look like a bunch of school kids running around on recess at the fa- on the fast break, they might have had 28 
or maybe even 30 points. The Celtics missed so many layups last night. So many layups. It was absolutely unbelievable. And every single fast break was an absolute shit show. It literally looked like explosive diarrhea. It was like they got over half court and they were like... It was terrible. It was awful. But the eight points by the Philadelphia 76ers fast break, that is because Ben Simmons isn't out there. So the Celtics did a great job of not letting the Sixers get easy baskets. So salute to the Celtics. So that was good. The other thing that I really liked from the Celtics is... No, I'm sorry. Not that I liked, but they couldn't play more than five minutes straight. Like, they couldn't play good basketball for more than five minutes straight. But when they were clicking, for example, like that 11 to 1, 13 to 1, or was it 13 to 3 run that they went on to take over the lead, that was great basketball. In the second quarter, when they really extended the lead to 11 points for about a two or three minute stretch, that was great basketball. But they couldn't play a full quarter's length of good basketball. And that was very frustrating. But you saw some bright spots within those five minutes. So it was surprising that the Celtics couldn't sustain that type of play for a long period of time. Hopefully they can do that in game two. And then the other thing was the amount of missed layups. Oh my God, that was insane, the amount of missed layups. I, I couldn't believe it. it. The Celtics could have won that game. The Celtics should have been up at least 15 points at halftime because of the amount of missed layups. Gordon missed some. You know, there was a fast break where Gordon Hayward missed a wide open layup. Jason Tatum missed the follow-up, and then Jalen Brown had to punch it in. But there were a lot of missed layups, a lot of baskets that were should have happened because of just mislaps. And it wasn't even because the 76ers were playing good defense. It was literally like on fast break opportunities. So that was crazy. So I think if the Celtics can keep up the fast break points and run, 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 tired out Joel Embiid, you know, perfect example, you know, Josh Richardson early in the game kind of got angry and yelled at everyone because the Celtics missed, you know, Gordon Hayward got the ball. He missed the layup. Jason Tatum, you know, missed another layup and, uh, Jalen Brown tipped it in. The only people that ran back were Al Horford, Josh Richardson, and I think Tybal. I don't think Tobias Harris ran back, and I don't think Joel Embiid even made it to half court. So you got to keep running. You got to make Joel Embiid tired. Make just run on this team all day. You're young. I know you're not. The bench is not as deep as we would like it to be, especially in the playoffs, especially now losing Gordon Hayward. But just run, 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 run. Let's talk about the 76ers, the good and the bad. The good was their backcourt shot really well. I mean, Milton and Richardson were combined 12 of 24, and then they, I think, I think they hit a good chunk of threes too. Let me just check the, uh, I think, yeah, didn't they each hit? Yeah, they, they went 6 of 14 from three, and they went uh, 12 of 24 from the field. Uh, that is going to be a problem in this series if those guys are hitting shots. I mean, Kemba scored 19. I mean, the two of them combined, I think, dropped, what? Let's see here, 31. So it's not terrible, but when Marcus Smart doesn't help Kemba out, that's going to be a problem. I mean, Brad Brad Wanamaker had a couple hoops, but can Richardson and Milton continue to shoot as well as they did? 
that is going to be an issue. I mean, they were left wide open. And Shake Milton's one of those shooters that can be can't be left wide open. And Josh Richardson hit some tough contested threes. So I got, you know, tip of the cap to him. But can that continue for the 76ers? Because Tobias Harris was off last night, and because of that, Alec Burke filled in for him, and both of those guys were 6 to 15 from the field. So a combined 12 of 30 for those two guys is obviously a good thing, but for their backcourt to shoot 50%, which isn't someone or isn't two players that the 76ers really trust that much, that's going to be an issue. The other issue is, even though I just told the Celtics to run, 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 and try and tire them out, this, the 76ers are a really scrappy team. And one of the reasons why maybe you could argue that the Celtics' fast break didn't work so well was because of how much guys like Richardson and Tybull and Milton ran back on the fast break and made those fast breaks challenging. Now, the Celtics should realize, you know, there was a drill back in the day, in the day 32-21, where it would be three on two, and then whoever scored he would be the one person on the way back. So it would be three on two on the way down and then two on one on the way back. So that was always a fun drill. It was probably one of my favorite drills in high school playing at Chelmsford, but it was crazy. I love thinking about that. I love that drill so much, 32-21. That was such a fun drill. But yeah, but the Celtics need to do better on fast breaks. Like if there's three guys and only, three Celtics guys and only two 76ers defenders, they should score every single time, every single time. The other thing that I was happy about um, for the Celtics and you could say was good for the 76ers or bad, depending on how you look at it. This is one of those, like, is the jar half empty or half full? So Embiid went out of the game four times yesterday. The first time, the Celtics were plus three. The second time, they were plus two. So right there, you're already at plus five, and you're up at the half by six. So literally, you're one point better than the 76ers when Embiid was on the floor and five points better when he's off. So you'd say to yourself, that's good. But then in the third quarter, when the 76ers took over the lead by four or five points, Embiid went off the floor, and the Celtics were minus nine, and they allowed the 76ers to end that third quarter on 11-0 run. That's not good. You have to win the Joel Embiid minutes. That's an app. That's a must. Every single time he goes out on the floor, you or goes to the bench, you have to win those minutes. And the Celtics did for the most part. So plus three, plus two, minus nine, and then he went out in the fourth quarter for a little bit, and the Celtics were a plus five. So overall, the Celtics were a plus one when Embiid was off the court, which means they were plus seven with him on. So if you can win the battle with him on the court and then also win the battle off the court, that's some really good things. One of the other things that I was a little impressed with with the 76ers was they were more scrappy than the Celtics, and you, you don't hear about that every day. The 76ers got every single loose ball, and it kind of drove me drove me nuts. Like, sure, there were, like, that Grant Williams offensive rebound where he, like, the basketball literally, like, punched him in the face when he, like, hit the ground. That was great hustle, scrappy basketball. And I'm going to talk about Grant Williams in a little bit. But it was... It was frustrating how the 76ers were just more scrappy because when you think about it, this, sure, the 76ers are a scrappy team, but like Brad Stevens' teams, ever since he's been here, we're always the most scrappiest. Is that even a saying, the most scrappiest? or the No, we're always the scrappiest. Sorry for my poor English here. Sometimes I black out when I do these podcasts. Like All I think about is like I'm just picturing the game in my head and I'm not picturing about, you know, thinking about the dictionary. So... 
that's that. All right, quick check of the phone for Gordon Hayward here. Sorry, folks. Let's see if anyone has anything on the Twitter machine, since Twitter's the best. And I don't see anything. Okay, moving on. Uh, the other good part from the Celtics last night, we just talked about the 76ers, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Holy guacamole. Fire and ice. My God. Those two are a lot of fun to watch, aren't they? They're like Jason Tatum in the first half, dropping 21 and 8, was absolutely incredible. And what what I liked is they they didn't throw a lot at him. They really tried to force him to go left a lot, especially late in that game with Josh Richardson was on him. And the way Tatum just swung through and just drove the lane, and the second he felt contact, he put it up. That shows so much growth for Tatum because back in the day, he would just try and drive to the basket, and it'd be an offensive foul, or he missed the layup, and it'd be absolutely crazy. But Thibault and Richardson really are great defenders, and Jason Tatum needs to be ready tomorrow night for them to say, hey, we are going to trap him. Jason Tatum's going to need one of those six or seven assist-type games because they are going to trap him, and he has to be prepared for that. Sure, he can dribble out, and his dribble, his ball handling and dribbling was very good last night. Um, you know, knock on wood that that continues. But that has, like, he has to be prepared for that. They're going to trap him. And this is where Kemba's going to have to shine off of those traps, because Gordon would usually see this. Like, for example, if, let's say, Richardson is on Tatum. Tybal will come over and try and double him, and then that would leave Gordon Hayward wide open. Jalen Brown would be guarded by Tobias Harris, and so on and so forth. So if that leaves Gordon Hayward open, now maybe that can leave Kemba open, and Kemba can catch the ball, good burst of speed, get to that elbow, and hit a jumper. So that will be very, very important, because without Gordon, they are 1,000% going to trap Jalen and Jason every single time they touch the ball. Who knows? They could switch it up. And the other thing that they could do now is I was very surprised that Richardson and um, whatchamacallit, Tybal, didn't defend Kemba. Shake Milton was on him. And folks, let's be honest, Shake Milton cannot cover Kemba Walker at all. Kemba blew by him every single chance that he got. So do they put a better defender on Kemba now? And then that way, Kemba will have a hard time getting open if they try and trap Jason Tatum. So that will be very interesting as well. But Tatum became the youngest Celtics player in Celtics history to score 30 points in one game. He beat out Tommy Heinsohn and Larry Bird. So props to him. And what was even crazier is he's the first player to get 30 points and 13 rebounds in a game since Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon. And Akeem, the dream Elijah one, is one of the greatest centers in NBA history. And the fact that this dude, who's not even a center, could do that, absolutely unbelievable. So the first half of Jason Tatum was great. Some of the third quarter, too. But his shooting fell off in the fourth quarter. So you're a little worried about that, that, you know, can he keep up? Can he consistently play well for the whole game. I mean, he played a lot. His legs might have been tired. It's the most that he's played in the bubble. But he's going to need to make big shots in the fourth quarter. So he did it in quarters one, two, and three, which was great. It definitely helped him. But he's also going to need to do that in the fourth quarter too. But the person who stepped up for Jason Tatum in that fourth quarter was Jalen Brown. The fact that Jason uh, Jalen Brown got a warble, a knee to the thigh. You know, I'm kicking it old school, like sixth grade. I might say the word mint or fat with a ph who knows 
by the end of this podcast, but he got a good old warble, a good knee to the thigh by Joel Embiid. And if I got a knee to a thigh from a 7'2", 280-pound guy, I wouldn't walk for months. I might never walk again. That would literally just shatter my leg. So the fact that Jalen Brown, that happened in the third quarter. He went to the bench. The training staff worked on him. He got on the bike, came back, and then dropped 50. 15 points in the fourth quarter and help the Celtics get the lead back on that 11 to 1, 13 to 3 run, whatever the case may be, was absolutely fantastic. Tatum, you know, like I said, Tatum's shot was off, but they focused on Tatum so much that that left Jalen open for a couple threes, and Jalen shot the ball very well. And like I said in the series preview in episode 79, Jalen Brown in the three losses. In the three losses against the Philadelphia 76ers. Sorry, I had a brain fart there and I repeated myself. But in the three losses against the Philadelphia 76ers, Jalen Brown made a total of eight field goals. Eight. Last night, he made nine. If he shoots the ball well, the Celtics really have a great chance of making this a quick series. So hopefully Jalen's warble and bruise on his thigh or his right thigh contusion isn't that bad when he wakes up today. So that will be interesting. Um, and then you also have to give him props for selling that flagrant foul call on Joel and, uh, on Al Horford because I thought that was a good, clean, hard playoff foul. I don't think that should have been a flagrant foul. I'm not complaining about it, of course, but that shouldn't have been a flagrant. It shouldn't have been, but hey, we'll take the points, led us to victory, and that's that. Also, speaking of Al Horford, how weird was it that he screamed? Like, do you guys remember that? Like in the third quarter, I think it was actually the, the game time bucket that they had, but my God, that was bizarre. It almost made me feel like uncomfortable with how much he did that. But anyways, that, ugh, yeah, that was weird. All right. Anyways, uh, what else we wanted? What else I want to talk about? Oh, Marcus Smart and Daniel Tice. I thought Daniel Tice played fine. I, I really did. You know, the fact that he only got one foul, I think, after the first quarter. Or, yeah, he only had one foul after the first quarter was great. I thought he was going to have 78 fouls. Like, he would have fouled out the entire Celtics team with the way that, you know, he would have played Embiid. So it'll be interesting to see how the referees call game two. We'll, with Tyson foul trouble, does that bring Time Lord in? Does that bring Cantor in? So on and so forth. I talked about Marcus Smart earlier. Not the best shooting game, but obviously he did a lot of a lot of good things defensively. Like for example, when Horford was on the post a couple times against Hayward, Marcus Smart would come down and he knows be playing with Horford for two or three years that Horford loves that like over the head right hand pass and he would jump up and get that every single time and that was great defense. You know, one time Gordon Hayward got pushed out of bounds by Horford, which created a foul. A couple other times he got some steals out of it. So that I enjoyed. But the thing that I did not enjoy, when there are two minutes left in a basketball game, Marcus Smart and Jalen Tice should not be shooting the three pointers with the game on the line. That is what we like to call panic attacks. And I didn't enjoy that a lot. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't. So, uh, do we do sudden dud of the game? No. We're going to do sudden dud of the week next week. But if I were to pick, it's probably Jalen and Marcus. So, you know, for those keeping track at home, we're going to be doing about four or five podcasts this week, which is pretty crazy. But so far, the stud of the series is Jalen Brown, and the dud is Marcus Smart, and we'll, we'll figure out the rest. But one quick other thing, um, how are the Celtics going to win this series? Or win game two, I should say. The first is, I really think Grant Williams and Ennis Cantor could play 
some big minutes and give them a big jolt of energy in the fourth, especially on the offensive boards. Because what Ennis Cantor did when he got that offensive rebound and kicked it out to Jalen for that open three, oh my God, that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. Because Ennis Cantor, whenever he gets an offensive rebound, he's a lot like Brad Wanamaker on the fast break. He is not going to pass the ball. And the time that he did, he stuck Jalen stuck a big three, you know, f- four rebounds for Cantor in this game. I guarantee, I haven't really dove into it, but I guarantee you three of them are offensive, or at least two of them are offensive. Grant Williams was a huge spark plug. I really think we're going to see a lot of Grant Williams in game two. And what I mean by a lot, probably more than the five or six minutes that he played. I think he could probably play 12 or 13 minutes in this game. Um, But to win this game, minus some, some guys off the bench giving this team a jolt and literally trying to tire out Joel Embiid because let's be honest folks Joel Embiid looked very tired in that fourth quarter he looked wiped and he's only going to be more tired going into game two and game three and so on and so forth but Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart have to shoot the ball better and they have to hold down the 76ers backcourt because Tobias Harris is going to have a good shooting night where he's going to give the 76ers 25 points Joel Embiid is probably going to score 30 points now because every single time the 76ers don't pass the ball into the post by Joel Embiid, someone dies. Like, seriously, because it is the dumbest thing in the world not to give him the ball in the post. It's absolutely stupid. But Kemba can guard Milton, and Smart can guard Richardson. And Smart can guard Tobias Harris, and he can guard Al Horford too. So switching might be a little bit better as well, but... The 76ers really, really, really tried hard to get Tobias Harris on Kemba Walker on switches. That's going to happen again. It's a good matchup for the 76ers. You know, Tobias Harris probably has six or seven inches on uh, Kemba Walker, and he can shoot over him. But it was just an off night for Tobias Harris. So Smart and Kemba have to be better than Milton and Richardson. That's number one. Number two, don't give up on rebounding. Keep jumping until you get it because there were a couple times where the Celtics just stopped jumping. And yes, there were a couple times that the Celtics gave up some really stupid offensive rebounds. Oh my God. Especially like, you know, late in the shot clock. They'd throw it up like that and bead step back in the first quarter. Oh my God. But this is what was great. The Celtics got 16 offensive rebounds, which was more than the 76ers. So keep crashing the boards on both ends of the floor, please. So Kemba, Smart, have to play better than Milton and Richardson because there's I'd be shocked if Gordon Hayward plays. You have to keep the rebound battle within six or seven, just like I said in episode 79. And if you get that, like if you get 50 rebounds and 16 of them are offensive, love it, need it, have to have it. So that's key. And then keep forcing bad turnovers. The 76ers had a lot of bad turnovers in game one. And I feel like the Celtics, if they made some easier layups, if they didn't poop themselves knowing that they had a fast break, they would have blown that game out of the water and could have gotten 28, 30, maybe even 32 points in the fast break with the amount of stupid turnovers that the 76ers have. The Celtics did a great job stripping the ball of Embiid in the post, really attacking him, surprising him in all different angles. So keep the aggressive defense, keep your hands ready to go, keep your hands in passing lanes, and force those bad turnovers. And then finally... Just play a full 12 minutes of basketball. Because here's the thing. The 76ers started off that game shooting 9 of 10 from the field. That's not going to happen again. It's really not. And you got to stop worrying about the refs. I really think part of the reasons why the 76, uh, 76ers played so well is because the Celtics just 
worried about the refs so much. It was unbelievable. Like, every single time. Like, there was one time Tice complained, and you could hear Brad Stevens go, Get back! And Tice sprinted back up the floor. So I understand Tice is very frustrated with the officials, as he should be, but the officials are not going to win you this game. They're not going to win you this series. You are. So stop worrying about the freaking refs. And one other thing. This really isn't important, but Alec Burks shouldn't be scoring 18 points. He shouldn't. I understand that he's their number one guy off the bench. I mean, they played Scott and Korsmat for a little bit, whatever. I think they the two of them combined for 10 minutes of play, so, you know, that's it. It is what it is. But Alec Burke can't score 18 points off the bench because if Tobias Harris and Alec Burke get going, and if Richardson and Milton play like that, you're going to lose. So... Kemba, smart, have to play better, keep rebounding, especially offensive, keep forcing bad turnovers, and play a full 12 minutes for the love of God, just one full quarter. And then we'll work our way up to the next game for, for you know two full quarters, three full quarters, whatever the case may be. Okay, here we go. Got a couple Twitter notifications. Da, 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 da. And nothing. Okay, so that's it for episode 80 of the Banner Bench Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Um, you know, I was trying to keep it under 30 minutes, and I think I'm going to be able to do that. So uh, I will have another episode out on Thursday morning, episode 81. That will be after game two. Hopefully the Celtics will be up two to one. And then I'll also give you a preview of game three on Friday night. And then we'll have another one on Saturday morning for episode 82. So keep your track on, you know, send me your ideas for stud and dud of the week. Um, and we'll definitely do a canter banter as well at the end of the week as well. So far, four rebounds for him. And that's that. Go Celtics. And uh, hopefully Gordon Hayward's okay. I'm going to go say rosary bead for him right now. All right. Toodles and noodles. Maxes and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.